Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Well, Tendai Vicky has previously assisted global brands such as Unilever and Rabobank innovate for the future whilst managing their core business. Tendai, is it true to say that most companies are intensely focused on innovation when they start out, but lose their innovation mojo as the business develops? Yes, you start the company, right? You're entrepreneurial, you're a small team, you're building out, you know, trying to find customer value. You're, you know, you're, you're struggling, you're scrappy. And then you finally discover the thing that works. Now you've got your business model that works. You've got, you've got the, 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 the value revenue generating machine. And so once you find that, right, the great entrepreneurs, then know how to like build bureaucracy around that. So you start building systems around your successful business model. And it's the process of building systems around your currently successful business model that takes away that mojo, because now we're focused on scaling what we already know works. And so the things you need to do to scale what already works uh, kind of, you know, kind of counter to what you need in an entrepreneurial culture. And so it takes a lot of discipline to be able to do both, scale and manage what you currently have, while at the same time exploring new opportunities. Now, much of the advice that was given to startups here in Ireland over the past 10 years has been to adopt the lean startup method of build, test and pivot your way to success. What are mm. your thoughts on that particular methodology? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? So, there's nothing wrong with Lean Startup. I think Lean Startup is a really great methodology. It's one of my favorite methodologies. I think it's one of the breakthrough methodologies around innovation and entrepreneurship in the last half century or so. And so, but you know when a, method, when a methodology comes out and it's a, very great, it's a very great methodology, there's a lot of hype that goes around that. And with the hype comes the myth, right? So the myth around Lean Startup in terms of pivoting and testing and build, measure, learn is that the success of a Lean Startup project can be measured on, on a one startup by one startup basis. And what I mean by that is people start believing that you, you can pivot any idea to, to success. Whereas actually the way to think about it, right, lean startup is much more useful when you think about it uh, and you apply it to a portfolio of ideas, right? So lean startup is, is good for finding things that work, but it's also great for finding things that don't work and actually allowing you to stop, like failing cheap. And so what we want people to be thinking about is, especially when it comes to large companies, we say don't think of yourself like a startup, think of yourself as a portfolio of different ideas. And the majority of entrepreneurial ideas fail, right? Only a few become mega successes. And so if we know that, then we can use the Lean Startup methodology to, to discover which ideas have legs and which ideas don't have legs. And so you can't always pivot your way to success. That's a myth. We use the Lean Startup methodology to really sort of filter good ideas from, 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 from bad ideas. So sure, you can pivot a couple of times, maybe go a couple of directions, see, see what works and, and, and what doesn't work. And then at some point, you have to make the decision to actually stop. Now, one of the common approaches taken by companies when it comes to innovation is to create a funky office space and to engage in random idea generation. From your insights, how effective is this approach? Yeah, that's interesting, right? It's not sufficient for large companies to build innovation labs and funky rooms with bean bags and football tables. And somebody even throw in a chef if the <laughs> chef budget tells you. Like that's not enough. I mean, I, those things are all inspiring, and they they create a, a nice environment for it, for innovators to work. So you, so you don't want to knock it. But if that's all you do is if you just create a nice environment for people to work, but you change nothing else about your organization, then you're much more likely to stifle the things that are coming out of that environment anyway. And so what really matters is to create other spaces besides the physical spaces. You want to create space in the budget for innovation. You want to create space in decision-making. 
You want to create space in your portfolio. You want to create a process that allows teams to test their ideas, find what works, and scale those things that work. And so you need to combine all those things to make sure you're building a really successful innovation ecosystem. And from your insights into this particular space, what are the other common pitfalls that established businesses fall into when they engage in the journey of innovation? The bigger problem that they have and, you know, with large companies is they fail to make a distinction between how they manage their innovation portfolio versus how they manage their core product portfolio. So what large companies tend to do is they take all the practices that they use to run their company right now and they take those to, to, to manage innovation. So things like, you know, business planning. Um, we know that inside large organizations, there's a practice in finance that we don't invest in anything unless that team promises us some sort of return, right? So they're asking teams, you know, five-year projections, but these teams don't even know who the customer is or what the value proposition is actually really going to be. And so that's a really big challenge, and we're trying to sort of, you know, you know coach companies or, you know, talk to leaders and have conversation with leaders around, please make sure that you're using a different methodology for managing your innovation portfolio versus the one you use for, for managing your currently successful business. And of course, Tende, in the face of COVID and Brexit, innovation will be a survival strategy for many businesses. Yes, absolutely. I think Warren Buffett likes to say, when the tide goes out, it's the first time we see who's swimming naked. And so <laughs> what this crisis really do expose is, you know, which companies have already got an innovation muscle and which don't, right? And so, because, you know, by the time you get the heart attack, it's too late to start jogging. And so what we're telling companies right now is, please stop building your innovation ecosystem, stop building your innovation muscle, get your capabilities ready. Because we know, we, there's things we're anticipating will happen with Brexit, but there's also things that we don't know are going to happen. Companies are going to need to respond. And so they need to sort of start so to get into that sort of agile rhythm of, of quickly coming up with ideas to respond to, to changes and then testing them and seeing what works and throwing away things that don't work really quickly. So these are practices that, that actually really matter. I just want to say this one thing, Carl, right? There's a lot of conversations happening right now around COVID in terms of like which, which changes have businesses that businesses have made during COVID are going to um, last past COVID. And I think that's really the wrong question, right? I think what really matters is which behaviors did companies engage in that created those changes that they're going to keep doing po- you know, po- post-COVID? The changes themselves, like if, you're, if you didn't have a delivery system, now you have you know, a, a home delivery system. Sure, that change is actually going to probably last past COVID. But the question is, what did you do with your team to create that delivery system? Like, did you have to move fast? Did you have to create small teams? Did you have to run experiments? Did you have to get technology quickly? All of those things, all of those behaviors, will those behaviors last past COVID? And so it's the, beha- it's the innovation behaviors that matter, really, not the results themselves. Now, many business owners haven't been through the process of trying innovation and experimenting with it within their own organizations, probably feel that it's a bit of a black art that they haven't been able to master. Yeah, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. So there was a period when innovation was a black art and the entrepreneurs would be telling the, you know, the leaders in their company, just give us the money and let us go into this black box we'll bring, and then we'll do some magic and we'll bring you some cool ideas. <laughs> but the methodologies have evolved so much now that we now know exactly what innovation teams should be doing. The fundamental question for any innovation team is, how close is this team to finding a business model that works? So if we take that question with us to every conversation we have with our innovation teams, now we as leaders can actually really track whether a team is on progress to actually become successful. 
So it no longer needs to be a, a black art. That then gives leaders the freedom to give innovation teams leeway to go off there and do their work. We don't need to be controlling, right? We don't need to use command and control. And what we say to innovation teams is, we give you autonomy, and you give us transparency in return. And so that balance, that exchange of like innovation teams having autonomy, but leaders being able to see what they're working on and how much progress they're making towards finding a business model that works, those two things really get leaders comfortable with sort of managing innovation. So what, what we say to leaders is, you know, create an innovation portfolio where you make small investments on a number of small ideas and then track the progress the teams are making and only increase investment on those teams and ideas that are showing progress towards success. And there's a methodology for doing that that, that we can sort of help you build, and that's how you can really start. And of course, synonymous with the word innovation is culture within an organization. And there's an old saying about culture that if you want to change the culture within an organization, you have to change the people. So what's involved in building a culture of innovation within an organization? Yeah, that's interesting. I really don't believe that if you have to change the culture in an organization, you have to change the people. I think that people often treat culture like it's some sort of natural vibe that comes down from the mountains to bless the people. Uh, and so if you say you have to change the people, then what you're really hiring for is attitudes, right? But and, and, and maybe that matters, but I actually think that Clayton Christensen had it right, which is there is no human being that can ever overcome the system inside an organization, right? That the way companies are run, the systems and processes that companies use to manage people and to, and to run the organization, those will always overpower any individual, even people with really good intentions. And so what you want to do, right, I believe that an innovation culture is really driven by what, what our leaders enable and block. You know, what are the things that we celebrate and punish within our organizations? The things we celebrate and punish within our organizations become the culture. If we celebrate people that write really great business plans and do really great PowerPoint presentations, that's what we get. If we punish people that test ideas and fail, people will stop testing ideas and failing because they know that they, that's, a, that's, that's career suicide. And so I really believe that an innovation culture can be built. Um, not like you build a car, but more like, you, you know, how you sort of tend to a garden, right? You know, when a flower doesn't bloom, you don't start shouting at the flower and telling it bloom, bloom, bloom. You look into the nutrients in the garden and try and see whether, you know, there's, there's sufficient resources to help the flower bloom. And so building the right organizational context, I think, is really great for, 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 in, for innovation culture. A theme that runs through both of your books is the importance of having an entrepreneur driving that innovation within the organization. So what are the characteristics of a potential entrepreneur in any organization? Yeah, so entrepreneurs are both my favorite people and also not my favorite people. (laughs) And the reason is that what has happened in business culture is that we celebrate entrepreneurs a lot, like entrepreneurs, you know, Bill Gates, um, Steve Jobs. Mark Zuckerberg, we celebrate those people a lot. And so we, we tend to then think that you know, the behavior of entrepreneurs is what we should be teaching intrapreneurs. But actually, entrepreneurs are an interesting mix of innovative, explorative, passionate, right? Really caring about creating breakthrough ideas. They're really good at that. But what really then makes an entrepreneur successful is their ability to build relationships and bridges within the organization. A lot of typical entrepreneurs are brash and confident and they're out there to disrupt the world. So they go out there and they, and they behave in ways that are not necessarily conducive for somebody trying to work inside a large organization. And so that's where the entrepreneur and entrepreneur you know, part ways. 
the entrepreneur then goes into building relationships and bridges and having really good relationships with other key functions like legal, human resources, and finance, which is something that an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur doesn't have to think about. And so that's really where you know, great entrepreneurship happens. You know, people that are like serial entrepreneurs are really good at working on great ideas but also building relationships within the organization. So for any entrepreneurs that are listening to this morning's show, how should they go about influencing their boss to prioritize innovation? Yeah, so that's interesting, right? So the first piece of advice I give entrepreneurs is you're not Elon Musk and you don't work in a company full of idiots. <laughs> so the first, that's the first piece of advice I give them. Uh, they have to really carry themselves with humility and understand that the people they work with have an actually successful business to run and that their concerns around how successful that, that, that business is are valid, right? You can't treat them as if they're idiots or they're stupid MBAs. You have to really be thinking about whether or not, you know, you, know, you have to be concerned about what they're concerned about. They care that you're concerned about what they're concerned about, and then you can bring innovation into the conversation afterwards. And then the next thing I always say to entrepreneurs is, don't try and go on a political campaign where you talk about innovation endlessly. Try and see if you can find a couple of early adopter leaders, help those leaders become successful with innovation, and then use those success stories to influence the rest of the organization. Storytelling is the best way to influence, and the best stories are those where people can recognize themselves in the story. And so getting an early win within your organization helps the organization see itself as innovative and how innovation works inside, the organi inside that organization. And then that's, that's a much better way to then influence the rest of the company and scale innovation. And what are the best frameworks to use for innovation within established companies? So there's a couple of steps that you need to follow. So let's go back to the earlier conversation we had, right, where we say innovation is a, is a combination of really great ideas and sustainably profitable business models. And so at the heart of everything is having a really great ideation process where you generate ideas, right? And so you need like, you know, really great brainstorming tool, uh, toolboxes, really great ideation toolboxes that, that, that work really well. And then after that, you can then reach into, you know, interesting sort of canvas toolboxes like the value proposition canvas or the business model canvas. And what you're doing there is you're mapping out how you think this idea would work if it became a business. And then after that, you can then move to this process of extracting hypotheses and, and, and sort of testing your assumptions through experimentation and using those learnings to iterate and pivot your idea until you find something that works or you decide to, 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 to actually stop. And so I think that, you know, some of the, some of the frameworks we have in, in the corporate startup and some of the more recent work by Alex Osterwald and the Invisible Company really outlines really great frameworks and toolboxes that people can use for that. And when it comes to success, of course, in any organization, what gets measured gets managed. So what mm -hmm. are the right metrics and KPIs to track different types of innovation within an organization? Yeah, so, so, that, so that's really interesting, right? Because what we care about when we're running our core business, our currently successful business, is whether we have any disruption risks. Is there, are there any risks out there in the world that might cause you know, our currently successful business to actually falter? And then we see how we manage around that. When we're managing innovation, what we care about is something we call innovation risk, which is what are the things that we don't know about this business that could cause this idea to fail? And, and so when a team is working on those, right, they can focus on desirability, which is do customers want this and can we make money from it? They can also focus on feasibility, which is you know, do we have enough capabilities inside our organizations to sort of build this idea? They can also focus on viability, which is you know, something around can we – 
if we make this thing and customers want it, can we actually sell it and make it profitable? So those are some of the, you know, some of the three important questions that, you know, they can actually really focus on, on focus on answering. And those are the metrics and KPIs you really need to track. And as teams sort of go out into the world and test their ideas and, and, and run experiments, we're just going to be focusing on, like, do customers really want this? Like, you know, what, what evidence do they have that they found the right channels to reach these customers? What evidence do they have that customers are willing to pay and how much they're willing to pay? And, and then, like, do we know that we can create value proposition in a manner that allows this business model to be profitable? And if we track that evidence and track those KPIs, we then are able to answer that question that I said earlier, which is how close is this team to finding a business model that works? I'm conscious from speaking to you this morning that established businesses, they almost have to be looking in two different directions at the same time. They have to be focused on the established business and keeping that afloat. But at the same time, they almost need to adopt the startup mentality as well. So how is that achieved? Yes. I remember, I think it was like in the early 80s, right? James March, who's a a Stanford professor, said that is the perennial challenge for a successful company. How do we design our organization so we can really, really fully exploit our current success while at the same time deploying enough resources to explore the future, right? That is really the challenge that we have. And so the first thing that leaders need to acknowledge is that they're living in two worlds. They're living in one world that's exploit, and they're living in another world that's exploration. And then they need to make a distinction. Whenever they're faced with a decision, they have to think about which world are we making this decision in. If we're making this decision in the world of exploit, we follow a different set of principles. And if we're making this decision in the world of explore, we follow a different set of principles. And then, and then they need to have conversations about what are the principles. In the exploit world, the principles are, well, what do we already know? How do we, you know, do we, what do we already know? What is our trading history? What do we need to tweak and improve to make this work even better? Whereas in the explore world, it's like, well, what are the unknowns? Because that's really what matters. And how do we test those unknowns? And so the toolbox becomes, becomes different on, 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 on both sides. Now, what you can do as a company is you can either have an ambidextrous entrepreneurial CEO who knows how to live in both worlds, or you can, you can actually say, okay, the CEO will manage the core business, and then we'll hire a chief entrepreneur who can then run the innovation side of the business. But you do need to be thinking about yourself as living in two worlds. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Tendai Vicky, the author of The Corporate Startup and Pirates in the Navy. And I would like to thank Tendai for sharing his innovation advice with us this morning. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.